0: Diving into everything there is to know about renewable hydrogen, this is Purple is the New Green, a Nell Hydrogen podcast, co-hosted together with H2View. Join us as we talk about hydrogen, the energy carrier of the future, already available today. Welcome to the very first episode of Purple is the New Green. I'm Lila Asdell-Danielson, brand manager in Nell, and I'll be joined on this series by my co-host, Rob Cockerell from H2View. Hey everyone. In this 12-episode podcast series, we'll be giving you the insider view into hydrogen by talking to a number of my colleagues here in Nell. We'll also have the opportunity to tie it in with insight from H2View's coverage these past few months.
1: That's right, Lila. I'm excited to dig into the variety of topics we have come in our audience's way. And if rumour has it, that includes the solar industry today and its similarities to the hydrogen industry, right?
0: You're absolutely right. Today we'll be talking to Jan-Andre Leca, CEO of NEL. His background includes a number of years in the solar industry, so he's an excellent person to talk to about that.
1: And rumour also indicates there might be some talk about the colour purple in some of these episodes, or so I hear.
0: <laughs> yeah, there will definitely be talk about purple. It is, after all, the colour of hydrogen, and it just so happens to be my favourite colour.
1: Really? Is that a brand manager thing?
0: It's really more of a Lila thing, but it certainly doesn't hurt with the role I have in Nell. Indeed. Okay, so before we get Jan on the line, what kinds of interesting things has H2View been covering when it comes to solar and hydrogen this year?
1: Well, very interesting that you ask. Uh, There are several points to make here, Lila. You may remember that one of our launch interviews or features at H2View, well over a year ago now, was about Marie Stad a little town in Sweden home to a big story in solar and hydrogen. We learned about the community's bold decisions to move to a solar PV-based hydrogen generation solution that could provide adequate energy to all of its cars, schools and community buildings. It's a fascinating story and clearly solar and hydrogen have been on our radar since our launch.
0: I do remember that.
1: And in terms of developments this year, we've seen a lot of talk about microgrids, particularly in Southeast Asia. And these often rely upon solar-based hydrogen power. We've seen a lot of discussion around solar and hydrogen in those very sun-drenched regions of the world like Australia, Africa or the Middle East. And we saw earlier this year that EU-funded researchers have demonstrated cutting-edge water electrolysis technology that offers a viable way to store renewable solar energy in the form of hydrogen fuel. So it's a really big topic at H2View, and in fact, we're just starting to get questions around the impact of electrolysis on regional water supply, and I'm really looking forward to getting into our discussion today with Jon.
0: That sounds great. How about we get Jon on the line so we can really dive into today's episode? Sounds good to me. Jon, welcome to Purple is the New Green.
2: Hi guys, thank you for having me. How are you doing?
0: I'm good, thank you. <laughs> Good. As you might have guessed, we'd like to talk to you about the parallels between the solar and hydrogen industries. Before we dive into that, however, let's start with you. Can you give us a rundown of your background?
2: So, I studied business and business economics, but I probably should have been an engineer because I've always been very interested in in technical stuff. And I've been working in the industry all my life. I started in ABB, a large Swiss-Swedish company, and then I was where I was almost 8 years. And then I was 10 years in solar, so I basically um, participated in the whole trip all the way from the, from the early beginning and the boom and bust of solar, so to speak. So that was a very interesting learning uh, to be a part of that. Then I was a brief period, three years where I headed up a company called North Titanium that developed 3D printers for large titanium components to the aerospace industry before I joined now. And I've been here now for the last uh, close to five years.
1: So Jon, from ABB to REC and Norse Titanium along the way, and, and now Nell, what led you to a career in hydrogen?
2: Well, I was, I was asked to head up uh, Nell, probably uh, a main, a good portion of that, the reason was because of my background from solar. The development in hydrogen is quite similar to solar, what we saw in solar back in the day. you know we are you know a small, promising industry set to grow significantly, develop new technologies you know run out into into the world and build new factories in different parts of the uh, around the globe et cetera et cetera cut costs fast, build organizations all of those elements and that's that is uh, also the journey that we went through in solar. And that means that you can hopefully take some of the some of the good positive learnings that we uh, got out of solar, but also potentially try to avoid some of the pitfalls that we saw in in solar. Now there are many similarities, but also some differences. And one of the one of the significant differences is obviously that there is a very mature technology component also in hydrogen. We have in in our company we have uh, part of our business have experienced rooting back almost 100 years. We have a long experience in, in alkaline, we have 20-30 years in PEM, we have more than 15 years in fueling stations. So there is a, a mature component of this industry at the same time as you're set to grow uh, and you have all of these new, new markets that you need to address. So that combination is very fascinating, it's something that really drew my attention to this industry.
0: Now. It- you you talk about the, the hydrogen industry being quite promising. We've heard that before. Uh, the hydrogen industry has been through quite a few ups and downs over the years. But what makes this current uptrend different? What makes this one the one that's going to stick?
2: Well, the big difference now is that there are, you are kind of hitting certain very important thresholds. And, and there are two two main forces are pulling together at the same time. First of all, it is the actual cost reduction of equipment. So hydrogen production equipment, electrolysis, fueling stations are going down in cost quite dramatically uh, with the scale of cost down that we are seeing. And when you hit certain thresholds there, suddenly equipment cost becomes less of an issue. And you, 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 you are able to compete with the fossil solutions. And when you combine that with the fact that renewable energy keeps going down and, and, you know, the cost of renewables have come down incredibly fast and continue to go down. I mean, many people thought it would stop at some point, but it keeps going down. So when you look at building new power plants now, it's cheaper to build in many places, solar and wind, than uh, cold fire power plants. Uh, and as electricity constitutes... You know, three quarters of the cost of renewable hydrogen, then this is becoming really, really attractive and cost competitive. And we call that combination, when that, when, the, when that combination hits a certain threshold, we call it fossil parity. And fossil parity is when renewable hydrogen is capable of outcompeting fossil hydrogen. And we're not talking here now uh, about something which is substituted or where you have a lot of incentives from the government. We're talking, you know, commercial competitive position. And that's our, that's our kind of guiding star. That's really what we're working for. And that's basically what we're seeing now is that we're hitting that key threshold where we are about to outcompete the fossil.
1: So, Jan, this is probably a good time for a question from, from me from the other side of the Nell fence. Uh, for all this talk of thresholds and forces, what would you say makes Nell uniquely positioned to lead this upswing in the hydrogen industry and set new thresholds?
2: Well, there, there are a number of things that makes us unique. Maybe the most obvious is the fact that we have this long experience and we have a lot of equipment sitting out in the field. We have We have sold more than 3,500 electrolyzer systems in more than 80 countries uh, over the years. So we have equipment sitting all over the place. The same with fueling stations, we have sold more than 80 units in different places in the world. So we have a lot of experience. Obviously that is not enough to have a lot of experience. You also need to move rapidly forward. So we've uh, assembled a team, and and many of them, or a few of them, are also from renewable industry, from solar, from wind because they are used to seeing uh, fast cost reductions. We're not talking about two, three, four, five 5% per year. We're talking about really step changes in cost reductions. That's what we need to see, and that's what people need to, that's kind of the attitude that they need to have. So I think that's also part of what makes us unique. And then our technology portfolio, where we have a position both in PEM and Alkaline, uh, the both relevant technology platforms on the, on the side, and, and the key technology, what should I say, building block, where we are now in the in the process of doing so-called scale-up cost-down. So we are now expanding our capacity on alkaline by uh, more than 10x, which is dramatically reducing cost of of the equipment. And and being capable of doing that, having the right technology platform, having the team and the skill to do it, that's basically what I believe makes us unique.
0: I think this would also be a good time to to talk about the the expansion that uh, we've been doing in uh, in Norway. Can you tell us about Haria and why it's so important for for NEL and the hydrogen industry in general?
2: As we talked about already, I mean it all comes down to cost, huh? So basically, we we have we want to significantly reduce cost, and, and uh, the Haria expansion allows us to the first line will expand our capacity by more than ten x as mentioned. And that will reduce the cost almost in half. And then we believe that uh, when we continue to expand and add four more lines, it would allow us to reduce the cost almost in half again. And some way, so during that journey, we will be able to outcompete the fossil solutions. Basically provide cheaper equipment producing green than you're capable of doing with fossil. And that's great. And the way that we're doing that is with three measures. Number one, we basically redesign our product. We standardize it and make it turn it into a a building block of 20 megawatt, 50 megawatt, 100 megawatt, etc. Secondly, we introduce a lot of automation, a fully automated chemical line supported with robot cells. So you really get scale economy. And thirdly, we do now work together with only, we really drive the supply chain. Uh, You know, we we talk to the supply chain. We basically join up only with the people that, and the players that are willing to join this journey that really want to step up and reduce cost. And those three forces together are pulling together and reducing the cost of equipment quite dramatically. And then we, uh, you know, we are never satisfied. eh? So we basically take every production step and analyze it down to the kind of nitty gritty details. We define the process parameters and the process window and we see by just doing that before we t- before we automate we are also able to improve efficiency and quality of the product coming out of the line so so um, many of these many of these indirect effects we haven't even started to see yet but it's a very important step and it's the first production facility for electrolyzers of its kind in the world and it will really represent the step change in the way that electrolyzers are produced
1: so I mean, often linked to cost is also competition, as you've alluded to. Uh, Nell is facing some tough competition, not least from the hydrogen developments in China, for example. How is Nell preparing to face that competition, such as what we're seeing from China?
2: Well, um, you know, you always have to keep an eye on competition and you should never be um, arrogant about the Chinese, especially the Chinese, because even though they may struggle with quality, in early phase, uh, typically over time, they will be able to solve quality issues also. So they are technically very, very skilled. Now, the only way we can address it is to do things, move faster than the competition. We have to move faster, and we have to always have more attractive product offering at any given point in time. And as I said, we have two platforms on on electrolyzers, PEM and Alkaline, and we are spending a lot of resources and investing a lot of money in making sure that these technologies are not only cost effective, but they also have many other attractive key selling points that the customer is uh, focused on. And the same goes with fueling stations. We have a portfolio of pre-certified fueling stations for light-duty vehicles. And as we now see the heavy-duty vehicle, uh, trucks, buses, Fast ferries, et cetera are coming. We are now transitioning our portfolio to to better address these, and we are investing a lot of money on it. so 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 this is not something which is which is easy. We cannot sit back and relax. We have to we have to keep moving and keep investing and really push hard to make sure that we stay ahead of the competition.
1: and and if we can just stay on that that kind of note and and we put china to one side for example um you know there are a lot of companies entering the hydrogen space these days from both sides of the fence so how is nell handling that
2: many of the players that are entering are luckily potential customers because they are producers of hydrogen keep in mind we are technology suppliers we want to have the best and the cheapest technology available but we are not owner operators we do not own facilities that produce hydrogen molecules or dispense fueling. So most of the players that are actually coming into the market are potential customers or potential partners. And that is really that is really good. Many of the projects are obviously early days and they will take a bit of time to develop them, but that's really good. When it comes to the competitive landscape, it's I mean, if you want to drill down to that, you have to kind of, it's it's quite different on on the different platforms. It's slightly different on PEM, it's slightly different on Alkaline, and it's slightly different on fueling stations. But I think there, at least the visibility is pretty good. We know the players, we know where they are, we know what they're doing, and hopefully we are able to, to run faster than our competitors.
0: You've mentioned that a few times about moving faster than the, than the competition. So then what does the future look like for the Nell organization? Is there going to be organic growth, more acquisitions, or what kind of things can we expect to see?
2: Well, we can certainly expect to continue to see organic growth. We, are, we, we raised quite a lot of capital this summer because, as, as you probably also recognized, even though the corona situation impacted the industry very negatively in the short term, coming out of it, we see that uh, you know, the challenges around hydrogen is even bigger than they were before related to the opportunities. I mean, the, the opportunities are bigger. There is more money allocated to hydrogen. Uh, hydrogen is becoming part of the green deal and, and the Corona recovery plan, et cetera, et cetera. And that meant that, you know, that sets the higher requirement also on us as a company. So what we did then is that we said to the market, okay, we need to move even more fast. We need to move faster. We need to develop our organization quicker. We need to develop our technology even quicker to address these new opportunities that are coming. So we raised money uh, to do exactly that. So yes, we will we will expand and work on this organically. We will continue to cooperate with the part, uh, different parties. As As you have seen in the past, we have a number of, Corporations, uh, we have joint we have strategic collaborating agreements. We'll continue to do that because we can't do everything ourselves, and we basically want to stick to what we know and work together with partners in areas where we find that useful. And then, uh, when it comes to acquisitions or other kind of more strategic alliances, uh, you know, we are also open for that, but that will be more kind of opportunistically addressed if there are opportunities out there that can supplement our portfolio, uh, technology portfolio, for example.
0: So you mentioned about after the, the coronavirus uh, situation that there has been more money allocated towards developing hydrogen and, uh, and that, uh, that has been somewhat regionally located. And I know that there was some disappointment over how that's been addressed in Norway. Can you speak a little bit about the hydrogen situation in Norway?
2: Yeah, so in, in Norway, we haven't seen the same positive uptick uh, that we have seen in other parts of the world, and in particular Europe, where hydrogen really has been identified as a key to undertake the energy transition, the key to decarbonizing the industry and the, and the continent. Keep in mind, Norway has a huge oil and gas industry. Uh, so, you know, uh, it is probably a bit difficult for the Norwegian politicians to focus on a lot of new initiatives. Uh, I'm not trying to make excuses for the Norwegian politicians, I'm just trying to explain why they do not grab this opportunity with both hands, because Norway really you know, has a unique starting point uh, where a lot of competence related to hydrogen. We have companies in the space which are leading globally, uh, and we have a lot of renewable energy, and we could have really taking this opportunity and turn it into a, a future business but i think with the oil and gas lobby this is probably a bit difficult
1: so uh lila and Jon apologies in advance not to uh to bring the mood down here but i have to ask uh, the incident at the sherbo fueling station in norway last year what happened there and what can we learn from it
2: well the the whole incident uh, obviously it was a very sad and disturbing one which was um, very frustrating and disappointing for us as a company we uh, luckily no one was seriously injured and no one died obviously so so that is good it was a it was a cloud of hydrogen that ignited uh, as a result of a leak uh, something like that uh, shouldn't really happen uh, we have a philosophy in the company that no accidents or incidents should be with uh, at sites where you have nell equipment installed and obviously we took this very seriously we communicated all our analysis and findings very openly with the industry we we updated the industry regularly and and we have identified a number of improvements uh, not necessarily related directly to this e- incidents but obviously when you work when you focus on something and you really want to learn and you want to kind of build in extra safety layers uh, you will always find improvements and we, we will share that with the industry. And I think that's the best we can hope for here is really to to use this experience to to basically make sure that, you know, we can we can make hydrogen even more safe for the entire industry, because we really, really don't want to see events like that.
0: With regards to uh, to learnings, not just from that incident, but also learnings that uh, that Nell develops, Nell is a member of the board in Hydrogen Europe. Can you tell me about the significance of this role and, and in particular um, what Nell brings to the table there?
2: Yeah, so we were lucky enough this summer to be elected into the into the Board of Hydrogen Europe. And that was that was a very positive surprise in many ways because there are a lot of qualified companies. There is more than 160 members, some of the biggest companies in the world, energy companies, automotive companies, gas companies. But uh, we were voted in to the, uh, to the board. And hopefully that is because we are a bit unique. We have a pure play technology position. Uh, I think what we can contribute is really, you know, try to accelerate the development of the hydrogen industry in Europe by, you know, sharing some of the things that are happening. I mean, we obviously have an insight since we are in the middle of it. And very often when you sit on the outside and try to understand what's going on, uh, we saw this when I was back in, in the solar industry, we saw that the analysts and the politicians and everyone looking at this from the outside, they were not able to understand what was actually going on in terms of cost reductions, in terms of capacity expansions. So every time they tried to guess, you know, what would the cost be? What would the capacity be? They were not able to do it. They were only always underestimating the industry's ability to move fast. And that's maybe some of the things that we can also contribute with is to, is to try to share, you know, what's actually going on here in terms of cost reductions, in terms of capacity expansions, in terms of other technology developments and achievements, and hopefully give um, a better foundation for making good decisions in Europe. Thanks for bringing us back
1: up there after my question. So on that note, just to ask a further one there, um, do you think we're doing enough to communicate the learnings and the key messages in hydrogen?
2: I I think we can always do more for sure. But on the other hand, if you look at the attention that hydrogen has received over the last, you know, three, four, five, six months, I think we should be pretty happy with what we have seen. And I think the outcome, I mean, who would imagine when we went into this corona situation, it was extremely frustrating. You know, we were basically, um, people couldn't come to the factory, everything slowed down, orders didn't come in, etc., etc. And then we see the outcome of, of this where you potentially, I mean, this is still, uh, we need to still see if, if this actually happens. But what we've seen so far is increasing ambitions in terms of speed, in terms of installation of equipment, and in terms of introducing hydrogen into all sorts of applications, CO2-free ammonia, CO2-free steel, CO2-free cement, all of these applications. If that's the outcome, then I think uh, we should be pretty happy with, with, with the, the development that we've seen over the last six months. And, and to be honest, I don't think we need more attention now. I think now we need to deliver. We really need to start to deliver, see some projects, make sure that they're executed, make sure that they're, they start to run, You know, show that the business gets flies, and then maybe we deserve some more attention. But I think we have, we received all the attention we can expect for the time being. And now I think we need to deliver.
0: You mentioned earlier the boom and bust of solar. How does the hydrogen industry avoid that?
2: Well, there are many factors. Obviously, there are many company individual factors, which we probably uh, not have time to go into, which we will do b- different here when I'm uh, heading up uh, Nell, than what we uh, did in renewable energy corporation the solar company that I was working in to make us more robust some of the key areas is obviously to to move even faster and be more aggressive on cost reductions but the best thing is to prove that it's uh, it's a success now we when when we say when we say the boom and bust of the solar industry obviously if you look at this from a global perspective uh, and from a world perspective it's a huge success it's not a boom, it's only a big success because the cost of solar has gone down so aggressively and so massively. So basically now solar is competitive to fossil electricity in many, many parts of the world. And that is really good, that's good for, for the globe, and it's a great success story. But in a mean, in that cost reduction exercise, obviously a lot of companies were not able to deliver and they were not able to follow the development. And eventually they um, they went out of business. Or they were absorbed and consolidated by someone else so uh, you know that's that's the thing that we have to maneuver in um we have to we have to be happy about the development and i think that it moves quickly but then you know we as a team in now have to make sure that we are the ones that are actually maneuvering through this in a good way so that we come out uh, as as one of the winners
1: uh, and on that very forward-thinking note, what are your thoughts on the role of hydrogen going forward and, and how that manoeuvres, especially with regards to the energy transition?
2: Well, we we think that hydrogen is going to be really a key component in the energy transition. As, as a matter of fact, we have a slogan in, in Nell saying that hydrogen unlocks the potential of renewable, simply because renewable is, at least wind and solar, is not the constant energy. It comes and goes, and very often you produce it far away from where the consumer is, and here hydrogen can be the bridge. Hydrogen can be the bridge that stores uh, energy that basically enables you to uh, move the energy from one spot to another, and you can store uh, an enormous amount of energy underneath in salt caverns below uh, in, in Europe, in central Europe, and also in the gas grid in Europe you can store enormous amount of energies. You can store renewable energy from summer to winter or from one year to the next. So that's gonna be important. And then there are some industries where there is no other way to decarbonize besides introducing green renewable hydrogen. And I, I believe I mentioned them briefly before, steel industry, for example. Today they're burning coal as a part of the production process. In the future, they will burn renewable hydrogen as part of that same production process. Um, And you cannot decarbonize steel in any other way. The same goes with cement industry, the same goes with ammonia industry, uh, and to some extent also green methanol uh, industry. So many of these hard to decarbonize industries can be dealt with by introducing hydrogen. And then you have the last element which relates to mobility where if you have uh, something which is very heavy or which needs to move far, you need to carry a lot of energy with you and then you need hydrogen. Uh, whether it's fast ferries or ferries or heavy duty trucks or uh, buses or even deep sea uh, shipping or maybe even the most, most uh, complicated one which is air freight and air traffic. And here you will also see the introduction of, car- of hydrogen going forward.
0: Keeping on the uh, positive tone, what are some fun facts or anecdotes about hydrogen our listeners might be interested in learning about?
2: So I think one of the, one of the most interesting eye-openers that I kind of, aha experiences that I had was when I understood that the hydrogen molecule is really the molecule that carries the energy, even in fossil sources. So for example, in, the, in oil, in coal, and in natural gas, is really the molecule hydrogen molecule that is carrying the energy everything else in the oil or in the natural gas is things that we don't really want it's carbon which turns into co2 and it's other pollutants which we don't really need or particles that goes into the air but the hydrogen is what we need and if you can harvest that molecule through a different method Instead of, instead of harvesting it out of the oil or the gas or the coal, but basically producing it from water and electricity, uh, solar, you really have a green molecule. And, and then I also learned that you know you can even make protein by green hydrogen. You can even make protein. So not only can we make the, the globe green, we can decarbonize it, but we can also potentially in the future feed the world by uh, using solar and wind and electrolysers producing green hydrogen. And that's quite uh, uplifting.
1: Uh, I love that very much a case of uh, hydrogen on the menu.
0: Absolutely. We are just about out of time today, Jan. But briefly, what are the key takeaways you'd like our listeners to get from the chat today?
2: Well, key takeaways is that hydrogen is really just as a starting point here we have um you know the last year's market for electrolyzers was 100 megawatt we are now looking we are now um developing a site which is 2 gigawatt 2000 megawatt and we're talking about 2 times 40 gigawatt in in europe so we we've have, we have just started this journey and you will hear and see a lot more about hydrogen so i think it's going to be a very interesting space to be in going forward. And I think there will be a lot of opportunities for, for people to have exciting green renewable jobs or have good investments or whatever you may be interested in. Uh, so I think the key message is basically watch this space and, and keep following it going forward.
0: Thank you so much, Jan. That certainly gives us a lot of food for thought today, some hydrogen-based food, if you will. Wonderful. Rob, any last
1: thoughts from you? Sure, thanks, Lila. I hope first and foremost that everyone enjoyed that as much as we did. It it isn't every day you get to hear so candidly from someone of Jan's position and stature. So that was fantastic. I loved learning about the solar industry. I think it was in the late 2000s that I touched upon some elements of that business for Gasworld and of course, REC. So it was great to dive back into that, as well as gain, gain some feeling from within around the parallels with the hydrogen sector that we know and love today. As we said at the top of the show, the whole solar hydrogen relationship is a really pressing topic right now, a renewable story renewed, if you will. So it's great to learn more about that today. And of course, it's been brilliant to learn more about now and how Jan sees its future role in the hydrogen market shaking up. What a way to start this exciting new series. Thanks so much to you, to Jan and to the listeners for having me.
2: Thank you. Wonderful.
0: All right. Thank you. Young. Okay. And I would say it's probably a bit early to say after only one episode, but I think we're off to a good start so far. What do you think, Rob?
1: We sure are.
0: A big thank you to our audience for tuning into this episode of Purple is the New Green. If you like what you're hearing, don't forget to check out our website, nellhydrogen.com forward slash podcasts for more episodes as they're released. And you can also subscribe on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you like to tune in. We hope you enjoyed this first episode of our podcast series. We're back next week with more hydrogen talk, and we hope you'll join us. Until then, thanks for listening.